So we took a break last week as far as the series on divine appointments, which we're looking at this summer, and we're going through uh, uh, bit by bit each Sunday, as uh, our Sundays will allow. We'll take a break here right now and then for other things, like on the 14th, we're having um, a gentleman come and lead us in an African gospel concert, and that will be fun. The band is going to be part of that, too, for a couple of songs, and uh, it will be a fun time together. But he has an incredible message of how God brought him through some incredible things. Um, but he just, he, he's, he's, uh, he's a blind man who sings for God. And so it's, it's incredible. Um, you'll really enjoy it, so don't miss out on that on the 14th. But today we're going to be looking in Acts chapter 8. You can uh, turn there now if you'd like. Uh, but we're going to look at the idea of how God uses us to reach others. And again, this, this series that we started this summer is hopefully helping you keep an eye open for those divine appointments, because they're all around us. God is waiting to use you in a special way in someone's life. And it might be someone you know, it might be someone you don't even know uh, at all. But it's opportunities where you sense God's leading and prompting where possibly you need to be somewhere and you're not sure why and you're there and then God shows up in a way where guides you and uh, leads you in, in helping this person know about him. But divine appointments and discipleship together, it, it, it's all about making and maturing disciples and God's in the business of that as well too. All of us are signed up for that type of thing on board to be used by him in whatever way. It just depends on how available we are for God's use in our lives. But here at Happy Valley, we are a people who are committed to following Jesus. That is, that is our goal. That is our mission. It's what we want to do. Follow him. And as we follow him, uh, we, we then have a place, an opportunity, where we can see how God's love will change people's lives. And that's, that's where we're headed towards. That's what we want to be about. And every follower of Jesus is called to be a witness. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have received his, his saving grace in your life, then you are called to be a witness of that grace as well as the disciple of his ways, learning more about him. And to learn more about him, we need to look into his word and learn more about his word. Divine appointments. God wants to speak to us, and he wants to speak to us, and then he wants to speak through us, and then to be able to reach others. And that hopefully is the goal for you as well, as followers of Christ. But he uses us to reach others. In Acts chapter 8, in the last portion of uh, that chapter, uh, we see a story here of Philip and an Ethiopian eunuch, and an incredible incredible uh, number of events that come about to bring this to fruition. But what do we know about Philip? Who is this guy? You probably know a little bit about him. We know that from Scripture says that he is one of the 12 apostles. Um, he's a native of Bethsaida, which is uh, called House of Fish, basically. And uh, with all the fishermen there, it's a town in Galilee on the west side of the Sea of Tiberias. So you can understand why it would be called the town, uh, the House of Fish. And uh, this, this native place of, of Philip's was also the native place of Peter and Andrew. And in fact, when Jesus 
was calling his, his, his apostles together, and come follow me. Uh, uh, Philip was the one who was called by Jesus as well, and he went and he found Nathanael, and he brought him to Jesus too. Uh, Jesus also visited this place in Bethsaida quite often as well. But uh, Philip was the type of person, though, that was ready to do whatever needed to be done. And even if it meant uh, not being seen, not being noticed. He was kind of a background type of person. But he held a prominent place among the apostles, as Scripture kind of indicates as well. At one moment when uh, Jesus was going to, before he was feeding the 5,000, he turned to Philip. And he said, what should we do with all these people? And basically, Philip got on his calculator and started figuring out how much it's going to take and, and how much food and everything else. And uh, it was to test Philip a little bit there. So Philip was, was looking through all that. And uh, uh, he's the kind of guy, though, that crunches the numbers and looks at what's the possibility of things and how can we work this out? What, what's a tangible way that we can make this happen? At one time, uh, we see in, a, in an account in, in Acts where the Grecian Jews complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were, were being overlooked. And one of the seven deacons chosen to serve tables was Philip. And Stephen was part of that too. As you, if you read here before uh, in Acts here, you find out all about Stephen as well. And Stephen is martyred, the church is scattered, and Philip takes off to Samaria. Very interesting to think about that, Samaria, a place where Jews really do not go, don't want to be part of, but uh, Philip has that direction. And this same Philip, who was a deacon, who was a person serving tables, person helping in the background, getting things done, he became an evangelist. And in, in Samaria, he preached the gospel, he worked miracles, and brought many to faith in Christ. As you can read this in, in the chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses before where we're at. Very interesting, and the thing you should take notice is that Philip was no extraordinary person. He was just a normal person, available by God, ready to be used by him, whatever God need, needed. And so he served tables if it needed to be serving tables. You know, ordinary job. But it helped in the ministry. It continued on in the ministry so that the others could be devoted to prayer and preaching of God's word. But later on, God called then Philip on down to Samaria and used him in an evangelistic way where he preached the good news down there as well. So you have a revival going on down there in Samaria. The other person we're going to encounter here in this story is the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, in the middle of nowhere is this political leader. He's the, the chancellor or the treasurer at the court of Candace which is not a place, it's more of a title. Uh, the queens that come from Ethiopia had that title, Candace. Uh, it was more like a, a pharaoh or, or Caesar title for that. And this court official did not come from Ethiopia, as, it, as we know it, to, know it today, but rather his home was ancient Nubia. And it, it was a large part of Africa located south of Egypt. It was the area that the Queen of Sheba came from in the days of Solomon. So in other words there had already been a strong link between that area and Judaism. And so you have this Ethiopian who had got the idea that Jerusalem, about a thousand miles away, 
contained a religion that he should investigate if he was serious in finding God. So all these different details of this story we're going to read are coming together, and uh, we're going to see how God works out this divine appointment. Now, prompted by the voice of the Holy Spirit, Philip responds with obedience and shares the gospel with courage. He doesn't shy away, back down from the, from the task. So we're going to look at, at this situation here in Acts chapter 8, starting with verse 26. And we're going to see and hopefully learn from Philip how to prepare us for our own divine appointments. What is it that we need to be aware of? What is it that we can put into practice and be ready for when those divine appointments come our way? So chapter 8, book of Acts. Verse 26, says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, a queen, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came, out, came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Incredible account of a divine appointment. Um, we could look at this and go, wow, if that were to happen to me, that'd be incredible. Be used by God in that way. But there's some things we can take out of this portion of Scripture I believe that we can uh, prepare ourselves for the divine appointment that God has for you. And it's divine appointments. He will provide more than one, I'm sure. We just need to be aware of those. So what can we do to prepare ourselves? The first thing I think we can do to prepare ourselves is to embrace surrender. Embrace surrender. In Acts chapter 8, verse 27, it says, So he started out. God calls Philip, and the story says he started out. And his immediate response is to go. I find this amazing, not just because of a first-time obedience to God. And parents, you know about this type of thing, trying to teach your kids to have first-time obedience, right? And some of you remember a long time ago. But having your kids respond in obedience the first time you tell them. Not the one, two, three thing, or not the you know, three strikes and you're out the first time. And God here is having Philip 
respond. He wants him to respond, and Philip does. First time. But that's not the extraordinary thing about this, the only extraordinary thing. The amazing thing about his response is what he left behind. You recall with me in verses 4 through 8, Philip was leading a successful mission work in Samaria. Look in verse, starting with verse 4. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who, who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. I'll stop there. But where people, people were being converted, and things couldn't have been going better there. The ministry was at a high level. Philip was being used by God in an incredible way. People were being saved. People were being healed. All these amazing things were going on. Peter and John came from a short, uh, for a short time to preach as well, and, and also to confirm what was going on there, the Samaritans' conversion. But they had now gone back to Jerusalem, and here is Philip continuing in the ministry. He was the front-line man. He would appear to be indispensable, but God suddenly steps in with some unexpected new directions. You guys have had that. This church has went through the same situation, not same, similar situation. When Dave and Carol said, we're going to become missionaries. And you're going, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, we're not ready for that. We're doing great here, right? You know, And they moved and went on their way to Brazil and all that. And now they're finding themselves in, in New Mexico. But what would have appeared to have been a, a great situation, ministry going well and things going uh, smoothly and all that, and then God steps in and says, hey, you're going to go somewhere else now. Here, in the same situation with Philip, ministry was at a high level. And you would think that God would say, good, continue this, because more people need to be saved, the ministry's going great, continue in this. We got you here for another 20 years. Not so. And the thing about all this is that when God suddenly stepped in with some unexpected new directions, Philip was willing and ready to be used by him. God said, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So in contrast to Samaria, which was full of people, full of people, Philip was sent to a desert road. <laughs> Just imagine yourself. In ministry, things going great, all these people being saved, and God says, go to this desert place. I'm putting you somewhere where there's no people, probably some sheep, I don't know. And maybe you can uh, stand there for a little bit. Walk on that road, and you'll be fine. But there aren't any people. Why are you sending me here? You can imagine some questions that might, might have gone through Philip's head. But again, his response was total obedience moving forward. And so this desert road that goes down about 60 miles from Jerusalem to Gaza was pretty desolate. No one traveling on that very much. No, no many, not many uh, towns nearby. Beyond Gaza was the entrance to Egypt and the African continent. So it's wide open. And Philip surrendered to God his expectations, his plans, his ideas, his wishes of a successful ministry. 
and how God should use that ministry. He gave it all to God. If God were to move him somewhere else, that's fine. God's got this ministry. That's been, that's been my focus wherever God places me. If God has me here at Happy Valley for 10, 20, 40, 50, until I die, whatever. Or if God has me moving somewhere else, I can't go against what God has for me. Now, some of you are getting a little nervous right now, thinking, <laughs> what is he leading up to? I have no news, okay? <laughs> so, Colleen, you can rest assured I have no news right now. I'm just saying, though, that each time I'm, I'm open to whatever God has for me. And the, the same thing should be for you guys as well. What does God have for me now? And if it's to continue in the ministry you have right now, then you do so. But always be available where God was going, is going to direct you. So Philip surrendered to God, all these things. And his ingrained reaction is obedience. Go here, sure, all right. Head on down this road, okay, I'm going. And it's first time obedience. Any parent would love that for their kid. God loves that for his children as well. First time obedience. This is the true mark of the disciple. It is, the, it is at the core of what it means to be a Christian. Surrendering and obeying. Is it simple? It kind of is. Is it easy? No. <laughs> it's a simple command. It's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> Surrendering to God means dying to yourself. We all have expectations of what we think God wants to do in our lives. We all have expectations of where He might place us or use us. We might even tell Him about it too. You know, God, it might be good if you take me over here. I think this will be a good situation. God has His plan for you. And the idea then is for us to die to our expectations and to live in His expectations of what He has for us. And there's nothing easy about dying. <laughs> nothing easy at all. I'm sure Philip felt fear, probably some doubt, but he started out anyway. When I read this story about Philip, I think of the hymn, it says, I'll go where you want me to go. If you haven't heard it lately, let me read to you the words. It, it says, it may not be on the mountain height or over the stormy sea. It may not be at the battle's front, my Lord will have need of me. But if by a still small voice he calls to paths that I do not know, I'll answer, dear Lord, with my hand in thine, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, over mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. Perhaps today there are loving words which Jesus would have me speak. There may be now in the paths of sin some wanderer whom I should seek. O Savior, if thou wilt be my guide, thou dark and rugged the way, uh, though dark and rugged the way, my voice shall echo the message sweet, I'll say what you want me to say. There's surely somewhere a lowly place in earth's harvest field so wide, where I may labor through life's short day for Jesus the crucified. So trusting my all to thy tender care, and knowing thou lovest me, I'll do thy will with a heart sincere, I'll be what you want me to be. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. I'll over mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. 
if we're going to prepare ourselves for divine appointments, we need to embrace surrender and die to ourselves. Then you'll be more available to what God has for you. Also, in preparing ourselves for divine appointments, we need to join the journey. Join the journey. In Acts uh, chapter 8, verse 27, or 28, excuse me. It says, on and on his way, as he was going, as he was moving down the road, as he was walking, this encounter takes place as Philip is on his way. It's not at the destination. He set out toward a destination and going in obedience. In mid-stride, he meets a man who needs his message. Now that gets a little tricky sometimes. Because we're thinking, oh, God wants me to go here. And then we ignore possibly the divine appointment that God has set up for us along the way. Once we begin to follow, once we begin to follow what God has for us in obedience, opportunities unfold along the way. We may have a destination that God has us going towards, but be prepared along the journey that there will be those divine appointments that God will bring us to. And we need to be ready, willing, and available. We begin to follow, opportunities unfold, and discipleship is more than just that destination. It is a journey rich with unexpected encounters and divine opportunities along the way. So scattered to Samaria like Philip, or, or, or heading to the desert road, or maybe in the Samaritan revival. God has a journey for us, a destination for us, and along that journey, we need to have our eyes wide open, ready to be used by God. Join the journey, not necessarily the destination, although that is where you know, God has you going. But enjoy the journey. Look for those opportunities. Through obedience to God's direction, you place yourself in the right location at the right time to be used by God and encounter those divine appointments. So join in, join in the journey. Don't look at the destination only. God may have some moments for you along the way there that you need to be ready for. Also, to prepare ourselves for a divine appointment, you need to cultivate intimacy with God. Cultivate, cultivate intimacy with God. In verse 29 of Acts 8, says, The Spirit told Philip. The Spirit told Philip. It is miraculous that the Holy Spirit would speak to ordinary people. The Holy Spirit speaks to you guys as well. He can, if we're listening. But the Holy Spirit speaks. And it may be more rare that people would listen. And that's the key thing. Holy Spirit speaks, but are we listening to God? And Philip recognizes the voice of the Holy Spirit when he speaks. And this type of sensitivity comes only through the intentional practice of carefully cultivating intimacy with God. Philip's relationship with the Trinity created an openness which led to this opportunity. It reminds me so much of Samuel when he was called by God and finally Eli helped him to listen and hear God's voice. 
We can cultivate, cultivate this intimacy with God through a number of ways. But let me share a few with you that aren't new. And it's like holding up the football to the football team and saying this is a football. Regular devotional time. It's key. If you don't have regular devotional time, how can you cultivate that intimacy with God? If you don't read His Word, how can you know more about Him? But have a regular devotional time, an intentional and purposeful reading of, the, of God's Word. Not just coming and going, open it up, okay, there's my devotional time now. God will guide my finger, I'm sure. And, you know, okay, He can. But really have an intentional, purposeful time of doing that. Going through a book of the Bible, reading through Psalms, Proverbs, doing those things which are it's purposeful and intentional. And having Scripture study as well. Not just reading it, but also studying it. What does that word say? Well, why is that here? How come God is, is commanding this and this portion of Scripture? Having prayer time that goes along with that um, devotional time is, is useful as well, too, obviously. But your devotional time could include other resources along with God's Word to help you understand God's Word more. So to have an intentional time of, of, of that, though, regular devotional time, is very key into cultivating this intimacy with God. Another thing is, is key is a regular prayer time. Now, you might have that with your devotional time, or you also might have it and with another time of just regular prayer time. Being able to set aside time to seek God, to seek after what He has for you, to pray for others, intercessory prayer. And I'm sure you have a long list of people that you're praying for, but to have that devoted time. And not just being able, not just, just talking to God, but sitting Still before Him. Being still before God. Allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you what He has for you. Regular prayer time. And then, of course, attending Sunday school and Bible studies and church services. Because the more you can get from God's Word, the more preaching, the more teaching and learning about God's Word, the more you're going to learn about God. And when you learn about God, the more you're going to grow in that relationship and grow in that intimacy with Him. If you sever any of these things, there are other things that you also too practice in, in, in um, cultivating that in intimacy with God, it's going to affect that relationship. If your Bible collects dust for a while, your relationship with God is going to collect dust as well. So get into God's Word, however, however you need to do that. You know, there's a lot of Bible apps out there that you can put on your phone, reminders that tell you to read this scripture or pop up a scripture of the day. There's a lot of ways of doing that. So really, we're kind of without excuse. It's probably more of a, a, a laziness, I guess. And we're not, we're not willing to maybe to spend that time. There's other things going on in our lives that we need to take care of. Priorities as we talked about before, need to be shifted a bit and reordered. So God is first, and time with Him is first. Now, these things lend itself to knowing more of God's Word, and it helps us to know more about God, and growing our relationship with Him, and cultivating that intimacy with Him. So we prepare ourselves to encounter those divine appointments when we cultivate intimacy with God. Also, 
Another way of uh, preparing ourselves for divine appointments is uh, found in verse 30, where we practice creativity. Practice creativity. Look at there, it says, uh, do you, Philip comes up to the Ethiopian, and he says, do you understand what you are reading? Because he hears him reading this portion of Scripture, and he goes, hmm, maybe I can get a way in here. It's a simple yet wise question that Philip asks. And by way of background and birth, Philip would have been intimately familiar with the prophecies of Isaiah. Grew up with them, memorized them probably, knew all about them. He was raised on them. And to understand them would be second nature to him. You know, there's some things in your Christian journey that you have had that are like second nature to you. And you come up against someone who knows nothing about these things. And you're going, what? <laughs> you don't know anything about Jonah and the whale? What? You don't know anything about the Christmas story? What? And you can insert your section of scripture that you'd be going, what? That is somebody did not know. It becomes second nature to us. And for Philip, this was prophecies of Isaiah. And he wisely realized that the Ethiopian eunuch did not have the same background. This guy didn't grow up in the Jerusalem church. This guy did not have the teachings. So he looked to explain the gospel to him in a way he could understand. He found a new way to deliver a timeless message. There's nothing more exciting than to see someone totally hungry for truth and completely open to receiving it. You've got an incredible opportunity if you're before a person like that. They want to hear more about God's Word and the story about Jonah or the story about Jesus, the story about Matthew and all these other... You have an incredible opportunity. But there's also nothing more sad than communicating the good news in ways and terms that are confusing and unclear to that person. You've got the good news. You've got the experience of Christ in you. And you want to communicate to them. But as you do so, it sounds, it sounds all gibberish. It sounds like you're speaking a foreign language to them. There are many ways to express God's good news to people. And we need to be creative in order to communicate that truth according to those who are listening. So as you come up with someone who has no background in church at all, then you got to start at that level. You can't come into them and say, so the Trinity, and let me tell you about the uh, uh, theological complications about that. They don't care. They want to know that there's hope. What has God done for you? Why should I become a Christian? What's the difference? Show me. Tell me. And that's where we step up and we tell the story that God has given us witness his grace and his mercy to other people that has been in our lives. Practice that creativity. If we are to, we are to prepare ourselves for divine appointments, we need to practice creativity in communicating the gospel. We can communicate it all we want in the way we think is best, but if it's not heard, it's really not communication. We need to be able to sound a clear sound of the truth of the gospel so people will be able to hear it and understand it. 
And then also, finally, we need to tell the story. We need to tell the story. Verse 35, Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, Isaiah, and told him the good news about Jesus. Our role is to tell the story of Jesus and to tell it well. Let people know about who he was, who he is, what he's done, what he is doing. It is the ultimate story of all human history. And everything in Scripture is pointing to this. Everything points to salvation that God offers through Jesus Christ. It is the revolutionary story of salvation, forgiveness, of love and grace. And we need to be ready to tell the story. We tell it with our words, we tell it with our actions, and we tell it with our lives. We should always point others to Jesus, telling his story with who we are. And the key is to have our words and our actions and our lives move in harmony with one another so that the story we tell with our mouths is confirmed with the actions of our lives. Too many times, too many times, the story of Jesus has been blackened, has been bruised, has been drugged through the dirt because mouths tell the story, but their lives do not confirm it. And when people hear about the good news and get excited about it and then look at the person who's telling it in their life and how they're living their life, then the question always comes, why should I make a change? Why should I do anything about that when you're kind of living like I am? It doesn't look like Jesus makes a difference in your life much at all. Our lives need to match up with what our mouths are saying. And it needs to live in harmony, our actions and our words. If we are to prepare ourselves for divine appointments, we need to be ready to tell the story. Be willing, available, always always on call as God has, has you go different places and be ready to be his mouthpiece. I'm going to have the band come on up. They're going to, the worship team is going to lead us in a couple of songs here at the end. As they do come up, let me just remind you to prepare yourself for those divine appointments. Embrace surrender. Join the journey, not just the destination in mind, but join the journey be on the lookout for those opportunities. Cultivate intimacy with God. Practice creativity. As you share the gospel, you need to speak in the way people will understand. So know your surroundings. Situational awareness. How to be able to share that. And then, of course, tell the story. Tell the story. So what can you do now? A couple things you can do now. One is this, you know, this entire story took place because Philip recognized and obeyed the voice of the Holy Spirit. What we can do is we can start small. Start small. Begin to realize God has called you. If you are a follower of Christ, you are on the front lines. God wants to use you. And there is no, no uh, um, disqualification for age. If you're living and breathing, you have a relationship with Christ, God wants to use you. Wants to use you to witness to others. Philip 
recognize uh, all that God was trying to do in this situation, and he, he obeyed first time. This kind of surrender and this kind of intimacy does not come easily. So begin the process of cultivating this intimacy by getting into God's Word. Pretty simple. Start reading God's Word. Be on a regular schedule of devotions. You know, it's it, just like anything, exercise and going to the gym or getting out there and running or whatever it is, it takes discipline to force yourself to do it. And then once you get into that habit, then you can't live without it. It becomes weird if you don't do that. And a lot of you have grown up going to church on Sundays. And when you don't go, on church, go to church on Sundays, it's just kind of weird, different, out of the ordinary. And so in your devotional life, work on getting into God's Word so much at a regular time, regular basis, that when you miss it, you realize it. And something's not right for your day. So cultivate that. Get into God's Word. Learn to know His voice and discover His heart by spending time in the Bible. Start small, again, by reading a chapter a day or something like that. Something small to be able to begin those things. And then work on that. Start small. The second thing you guys can do, learn the language. Now, I'm not talking about the gospel or the different versions of the Bible, Greek or Hebrew. The gospel of Jesus was a foreign idea to the Ethiopian eunuch. He had no idea what this meant. The same is probably true for many in our community as well. For those people in your own community, those people who you touch, those people you rub shoulders with, meet, meet every now and then, it's probably pretty foreign for them about the gospel of Jesus. So how can we translate this great story into the native language of our neighbors? How can we translate that so that they be able to hear and understand? So you've got to learn their language. How do they live? What are they like? What do they do? What are they into? And be able to translate gospel of Jesus into an understandable language for them. Too many times we try to use all these Christianese words and people just get glassy-eyed, glaze-over look. And we need to realize that we need to use words that will be understandable to them, what it's like. So how can you relate the truth of Scripture using ideas and images that make sense to our friends? Have God lead you in that. Ask God about that. What is it, Lord, that you will have me do and how to, how to say it to my neighbors? Be able to express the good news to them. And as you pray that prayer in your devotional time, on a regular basis, God's going to answer that and bring about those divine appointments to be able to help you be able to share the gospel. So start small, learn the language. That'll probably help you out for, for starters. But remember, remember, God has a divine appointment for you, and you need to be ready and willing and available to be used by Him. I trust this week you'll have an opportunity to give testimony by next, by next Sunday or something like that to say, you know what happened? I love hearing stories like that. 
how God has used you in an incredible way. I've already heard some good stories. But God is on the move and to use you in incredible ways. Are you willing to be available? Surrendering is, is a big thing and obedience is a key thing. When we have those two things come together, man, God's got someone he can use in an incredible way. Be ready, be willing, be available. God's got that divine appointment for you.